Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Hear these words from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 1 through 4 and 25 through 32. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Know that all lives are mine. The life of the parent as well as the life of the child is mine. It is only the person who sins who shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is unfair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way unfair? Is it not your ways that are unfair? When the righteous turn away from their righteousness and commit inequity, they shall die for it. For the inequity that they have committed, they shall die. Again, when the wicked turn away from the wickedness they have committed and do what is lawful and right, they shall save their life. Because these, because they considered and turned away from all the transgressions that they have committed, they shall surely live. They shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is unfair. O house of Israel, are my ways unfair? Is, is it not your ways that are unfair? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, all of you according to your ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from your transgressions, otherwise inequity will be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed against me and you yourself, and get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, says the Lord God. Turn then Turn then and live. May God add blessings to the readings of these words in every time and every place. Today's scripture comes to us from Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32. Hear these words. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, or what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask, also ask you one question. If you will tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven? Or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, well, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, 
I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. May God add readings to the uh, blessings to the readings of these words in every time and in every place. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the gift of these words for their power, their way in which they live even today as we share them together as your church. May they inspire us, may they move us, may they change us. So speak through me in spite of me so that these words will do just that. Amen. So as most of you know, I, um, I am a millennial in my generational cohort, and we'll get to them next week. And that's part of the reason why I am rarely cynical. I have TB as our associate regional uh, minister, Michael Davison, a dear mentor, proud Gen Xer, has told me on a few occasions. I have TB, which is not tuberculosis, but true believer syndrome. This is uh, the diagnosis that was given to the central character in the book and later film starring John Travolta called Primary Colors which is a very, very thinly veiled account of Bill Clinton's 1992 run for the Democratic nomination and ultimately the presidency. True believer syndrome. It's about a Gen Xer who also loses his true believer syndrome, but that is the story of a generation. True believer syndrome was supposedly defeated by Generation X, replaced with our garden variety cynicism. The average member of Generation X certainly isn't a hippie. They're tough. They're roughed. They looked after their own selves in those unsupervised hours when they were told to just come back when the lights came on. Their young adult years, their adolescence, their early careers was spent by virtual disappointment after disappointment. Disappointed by presidents, Nixon to Clinton. Disappointed by televangelists and old church steeples alike. They were told, sometimes in exaggerated ways, that sex could kill you, nukes could kill you, the world was in danger of turning too cold. Or was it going to get too hot? Many of them, most of them, did not in fact die after all, despite being told over and over all the ways that they were going to. And so, they were tough and cynical. Clothes didn't make the man after all. It turns out that products sold or they didn't, whether you wore a three-piece suit or jeans and a t-shirt, which is why Generation X happens to wear some of the most casual clothing along with Gen Z. You would not find a Generation X pastor wearing a bow tie in a suit today. They were all liars. So there are no true believers here, just cynics and realists, which is the scene we find in Matthew's gospel too. 
The church keeps accounts for the life and ministry of Jesus uh, that we call gospels. There are four of them in the New Testament. Each one is a little different from the other. Matthew's gospel is one of them. And in our reading today, the chief priests and the elders, who are the very religious people, have come to ask a question of Jesus. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you that authority? They are asking Jesus, this is chapter 21, the book's almost over. The story is, uh, this first part of the story through his earthly ministry is almost over. We are in Passover week in Jerusalem. We are in Jerusalem. We are at the temple. We are hours at this point away from the final confrontation between Jesus and the powers that be, which, who will ultimately sentence him to death because he is such a rabble rouser. At this point, their question of him reads somewhere between a nuisance and an act of desperation. This is the way for the powerful to be asking this nobody from Nazareth, who do you think you are? And this is the kind of scene that always makes a cynic. This is the kind of thing that destroys true believers. Democracy, or not democracy, bureaucracy has come to try to stop Jesus. Someone comes saying some true things, healing sick bodies, making this new and beautiful community possible. And who should come along but the man to tear it down? Predictable, heartbreaking. But Jesus is ready. He didn't come to play. It's hard to talk about Jesus' conflict with other Jewish leaders without leaning into anti-Jewish tropes. In his relationship and the early church's relationship to the temple and the synagogues and to other Jews is complex. You could write books on it. And in fact, they have. But for our purposes, just let me remind you briefly that Jesus was Jewish, certainly Jewish, did not claim to see, did not claim to be anything else, did not see himself as anything but Jewish and part of the Jewish tradition. And Jesus was often in conflict with the very religious people of his time. Now, his conflict really should not be seen as a condemnation for Judaism, but as a warning for all the very religious people, all the good church people today, a warning that we and our institutions are often getting in the way of what God is doing. I think part of the problem Part of that conflict is found right here in the story with leaders who are standing on bylaws and credentialing rather than evidence of compassion and abundant life. One thing about that Jesus, he is a smart dude. He traps the very religious people in their own cynical game by asking them about John the Baptist. Either way, if they, no matter what they believe the truth to be, they can't say it. Their answer will cause them a problem, a political problem, a public relations problem. Either way, they are hamstrung whichever truth they believe. And so they... Just say, I don't know, even though they certainly do. Their dithering could be proof to abandon true belief. But Jesus isn't done. 
Even as he is approaching rapidly his death, once a teacher, always a teacher. Once a storyteller, always a storyteller. And he tells this parable about a man with two sons, one who said the wrong things but ended up doing the right things. The other son who said the right things but ended up doing the wrong things. Which one was right in this situation, Jesus said? Which one? I think this is the question that Generation X is still asking us as the church today. This generation who saw many a pastor or politician or business executive or journalist look really slick, say all the right things, and ultimately do the wrong things after all. What is there to believe in? As we continue our worship series, Faith Across Time, so far each week I've fallen in love with every generation. Not because they're perfect, not because I want to be more like them necessarily, but because when you stop and watch, you just take a moment, you can see all the ways that they have tried to be loving and faithful in their own generation, even as the world around them has changed increasingly. But, and this is a, a confession I really can't believe I'm making, I have especially fallen for Gen X. I did not see this coming. But for our intergenerational church, I am more and more convinced that we still need to listen closely to their message for how we live our lives and how we build Christian community together. Not to overplay my hand as a token millennial, but here's what I think their cry might still be. Give us something to believe in. Prove us wrong. Show us compassion and abundant life. Jesus is talking to this very religious people, and Jesus ends up tipping his hands too. And you might be careful if you, uh, you can miss it if you're not watching. Jesus then talks about tax collectors and prostitutes the underbelly of society, the left out, the marginalized, the unlikely. And he says, when John came, they believed. When John came and they believed, their lives changed. It was the real deal. Open the eyes of your heart and look. There is compassion and abundant life. They are Jesus' proof. His authority must be good and true because his resume is the same as John's. They both are of the coming kingdom of God. Look, they believed, they changed, compassion and abundant life followed. Jesus must be from something holy because bad can't come from good. Good cannot come from bad. Open the eyes of your heart and look. Compassion. Abundant life. What more proof do you need? As our church rounds, looks to, ahead to our 134th year, or even as we, people of the church, just look to the next week, the wisdom remains the same. Just love your neighbor. Open the eyes of your heart. Look See that it brings forth compassion and abundant life. Just love your neighbor. 
Just love your neighbor. Love the people that you're tempted to discount. Love even the tax collector. Love even the prostitute. Love even the one who speaks a different language than you. Love even the one who votes for a different party than you do. Vote, love even the one who prays in a different way. Love even the one who lives in a different tax bracket. Love even the one who eats different food. Because if we can do that, then we have everything. And we will have more compassion and more abundant life. But if we fail that, then the only thing we will have is the urgency to try again. Why get wrapped up in anything except the love which matters most? Because that love is something we can truly believe in. Open the eyes of your heart. Look. See compassion, and abundant life. Amen.